0: Well, this past week, I found myself driving in, uh, in in the dark in a town that I drive in every couple of years, and I don't remember ever driving there in the dark. And so I would drive along, and I hate to admit this, but I would miss my turn, and I would end up somewhere I did not intend to be, and then and then I'd have to find my way back. And if I did that once, I did it five times this past week. And I just got so sick and tired. In fact, one time I was I was driving. I'd been to this place before, but never in the dark. And the friend that I was riding with, I said, you're going to have to tell me where we're going because I don't really know. He said, oh, it's easy. He said, all you have to do is at the, at the yellow blinking light, the intersection after the yellow blinking light, turn left. You go to the four-way stop, you turn right, and then, and then on the telephone pole, there's a green light. When you see the green light, turn left. And it's right there. Now, those are directions that work even better in the dark than they do in the light. And so I... Drove along, there's a flashing yellow light, turn left, there's a four-way stop, turn right, and then there was the green, sure enough, there was a the green light on the telephone pole, and I got right there. And it was amazing how much it helped to have some landmarks, to have some kind of guideposts so that I wasn't disoriented just because it was dark, just because the, the scene around me seemed strange and unusual. And it occurred to me that that's not that dissimilar to how many of us go through life. We go through life with some level of disorientation. We think that it should be one way and it's not. We look for a landmark and we don't see it and then we drive right by. And then the next thing we know, we're lost. I think there are some people who get lost on purpose Some people just willfully say, I am not going there. I think a lot of people are looking for landmarks. They're looking for something that that will steer them in the right direction and they don't see it and then they get lost. And it occurred to me this morning that Romans chapter 8 gives us the landmarks we need not to be lost. It gives us... It gives us the orientation to where we are right now so that we can get from where we are now to where we need to be. And so I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 18 in hopes that like a good map, like a a good set of landmarks, it will help you know where you are and where you're going. So Romans chapter, eight, or Romans chapter 8, we'll begin reading in verse 18, and it, it gives us our present location as well as the destination. It says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. With patience, this text gives us both our current uh, location and our destination. It gives us uh, a, a bearings on where we are now and on where we want to go. And in doing that, it it points out that where we are right now is not all it's cracked up to be but where we're going is really the glory and the hope look at what it says it says for i consider the sufferings of this present time this is this is the my my first signal that as paul is writing this he is saying i am thinking about how i'm going to get oriented i consider this i'm thinking about this i want you to know that as i survey the world, this is what I see. Verse 22 has another one of those. It says, for we know. For I consider or I think and I know. In other words, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm setting my bearings with these truths. And he says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the sufferings of this present time. What a simple admission that the things in this present time constitute suffering. This is where we get disoriented, I think. He had just talked about Suffering uh, with Christ. In verse 17, he had, he had talked about uh, how if we, in, indeed, if we suffer with Him, we shall also be glorified with Him. And there is this, this suffering and this glory. These two stages, but the, the first one is suffering. And that, for most of us, is disorienting. Because we somehow have this expectation that if we were to truly believe in Christ, the suffering would get better i mean think about think about this first of all, you have a you have a promise, okay let's just take. The simplest one that hopefully most of you have heard. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, He gave one and only Son. Whoever believes has everlasting life. Okay, simple. Whoever believes has everlasting life. So when do you get this eternal life or this everlasting life? When do you get it? For God to love the world, He gave His one only Son. Whoever believes has eternal life. It doesn't say whoever believes will, when they die and go to heaven, have eternal life. Right? It says whoever believes has eternal life. Hmm. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So I think about that, and I think, "Hmm, I should be having, you know, abundant and eternal life." And yet, the verse right in front of this says, "If indeed you suffer with Christ, there is a there is a co-suffering with Jesus that." and, And some of you experience this. I mean, some of you were passed over for promotions because you have trusted in Christ or express that to, to you know the wrong people who hold it against you. Some of you don't get invited to neighborhood events because you're that Christian on the block, and you suffer with Christ. But I think here it's even more broad than that. The suffering the suffering could be any kind of suffering. It could be a suffering that you have because there's conflict in your marriage. Could be the suffering that you have because your health isn't what you want it to be. It's the suffering that you have because the circumstances in your life just are completely disappointing. And you know what? No one can say that. You have to say, no, you know, it's all good. If you're happy and you know, clap your hands, right? I'm clapping my hands. But here we have an admission that there is suffering in this present time. And you see, if I recognize that, I'm not disoriented. The problem is, the problem is that people people, preachers, tell you that you're going to be blessed now. That God's God's plan for you is that you're going to be healthy and happy and you have plenty of money if you're living according to God's plan, or better yet, if you tithe. See that, like scratch this out if that's the way you look at things. Because there is suffering in the present time and you can count on that. And so this present time is kind of an interesting time. It's a time in which you have eternal life. You have this abundant life. And you have suffering. It's this time when you have your sins forgiven and the time in which You sin again. Romans chapter 7. Ah! What an awful time this is! It's a time, really, of the already and the not yet. When Jesus came, you see. He came, lived a perfect life, died, was buried, rose again, and He inaugurated a new era. What did He preach? He preached the good news of the kingdom. Kingdom is coming. The kingdom came. This resurrection life came with Jesus. Yeah, man, my life doesn't feel much like a resurrection life. It just doesn't feel that great because I am caught in this current moment, this present time between the already and the not yet. Between the time when Christ has come and when Christ returns. The time between faith and sight. The time between when Jesus has done the work when He has canceled the debt of sin, when He has defeated the devil, and when we will enjoy all of those benefits. There is this time in between. That's the time He's referring to now. This present time. The sufferings of this present time. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be re- revealed to us. The, gro- the good news is that this present time isn't all we have. See, that's, that's, one, of the, that's one of the chief benefits, in my estimation, of trusting in Christ is that there is a future and a hope. I mean, I just think of... I mean, Stephen Hawking passed away this past week. One of the most brilliant people of our generation. And he had no hope. This world is all there is. Even as his wife prayed for him, he, he thought this is all there is. And... In one regard, that's disorienting, isn't it? Somebody that's smarter than us thinks this is all there is. And we say, how is that? What we have in the Gospel is a promise of a better day. And that promise of a better day is not now. That promise of a better day is still in the future when in fact, we experience... All that Christ came to bring—that glory—and the glory that's coming is not uh, comparable to the present suffering. The present suffering orients us, orients us and says, "This is where you are now," and the the the, um, the glory that's coming tells us where we're going to be. And when we confuse those two, we start looking around for some glory, some, you know, freedom from pain, some blessing, some riches, some, you know, great experience, and it doesn't happen to us, we're disoriented. And in fact, we're looking for landmarks that are still on the road ahead. And that's what he's saying here, is that ultimately, the present time is full of suffering, and the future in the future is that glory that will be revealed to us. And so that's the, those are the bearings that I wanted to give you, because for me that really helps. That helps me know that all that I, all that I get when I'm a Christian, I don't, I don't experience right now. All that I hope for isn't mine right now. It's partly mine, but it's not all mine. And then he says, just for landmarks, just so you know where you are and where you're going, you need to know that the creation around you has the same problem. It's not just that I get frustrated by the suffering of the present time, he says, creation itself gets frustrated. Creation, he says, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation waits with eager longing. This is a, this is a great uh, picture. In fact, it would be hard for um, Paul to write this with any more passion or power. They, creation waits. But it doesn't just wait like I'm going to play a video game while I'm waiting. Okay, I'm going to pull out my phone and do something mindless. He says creation waits and it waits with eager longing. It, the, the, uh, the picture of this word is that it strains its neck looking for runners to round the bend to, to come to the finish line. And you're looking around the corner for what's ahead. Creation is waiting, but waiting actively, looking for the revealing of the sons of God. It personifies creation as though as though creation itself, the plants, the animals, the, the rocks, the mountains, the sunrise, all of it is, is straining for a better day. This helps me. This helps me get oriented, right? Because how many of you felt some level of discomfort this past year when you read about earthquakes in Asia? When you when you maybe even knew some people affected by hurricanes in Texas? When the fires raged in California... And you said, that doesn't seem like that should be. Seems like it ought to be better than this. How can this be such a problem? Well, it can't. It is a problem. And I think even those things, those tornadoes, hurricanes, blizzards, whatever it may be, is part of creation. Waiting, straining, looking around the bend for something better. Namely, that final day. Even creation, which is, is affected, creation is affected so deeply by the disruption of sin that it's not supposed to be like this, that it's looking ahead for the revealing are the sons of God. And this is why. If if you don't have the Scriptures to point you in these directions, to orient you to what the world is about, you're, you're going to be disoriented. For creation was subjected to futility. Futility simply means that it's it's not able to accomplish its purposes. Okay, futility is what you find in a dump. Okay? It's what you find when those things there are no longer able to fulfill the purposes that they were there for. The plastic bottles and the bent forks and all those things that you might find in a dump. They're subject to futility. Ecclesiastes is is terrific because it adds to this and it's, just, it's not just the forks and the plastic bottles, it's like all of life. Vanity, vanity, everything is vanity, says the preacher. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. Is that all the world is subjected to this futility? I mean, yeah, yeah, the Psalms say the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. And it does. But not like it can. Not like it was designed to. Not like it will one day. It's all subjected to futility. And that makes a difference to me. Because part of me is pretty upset that you know god doesn't stop natural disasters that this world isn't better than it is and yet i'm told the creation is subjected to futility and and notice the 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 interesting thing not willingly The implication is that human beings are subjected to futility willingly. It was Adam and Eve who ate of the forbidden fruit. And yet, it was creation that was subjected to futility. Oh, Adam and Eve certainly experienced the, uh, the pain of that. But... It's creation subjected to futility against its will because of the one who subjected it. In other words, because God said that this is the way creation is going to be. I mean, this, Let's go back to, to that, that story in, that, in Genesis of Adam and Eve. Once they had uh, eaten of the forbidden fruit, God said to, uh, to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which uh, I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And you and I, we're surprised, right? We're surprised that there are sufferings in this present time. No. Cursed is the ground because of you and in pain. Shall you eat of it all the days of your life? Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth and you shall eat the plants of the field. You are going to struggle with creation forever. And what this suggests, what this suggests is that creation is struggling it's not what it should be it's subjected to futility and the cause of it is human okay here's a here's a little theological twist on your news okay because that is one of the things that we struggle with isn't it, it are human beings causing global warming okay they may be okay there may be there may be um emissions and uh, other things that that are causing problems in this world. But that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is also human cause. And that was caused by the first humans in the beginning when God cursed the ground. When God subjected this creation to futility. Which gives me some, again, gives me some bearings, right? I'm wondering, how do I react to this news? Do I... Do I need to to act differently to take care of the environment? Do I do do I need to vote for politicians that are going to take care of that? Do I need to buy from companies that are that are going to be clean companies? What do I need to do here? Let me say that's a matter of your conscience, but I mean the mandate we have from God is to is to. Um, To have dominion over the world and to subdue it. So, we are to act as as God's agents and stewards of this planet. Yes. And recognize we're not going to get it all fixed up. I mean we could have absolutely no carbon emissions and still have problems in this world. And still have extinctions. And still have things die and decay and go extinct. And all these all these problems that we hate right now are part of what is happening in creation because of sin. And so, that's the way that I understand the, the, the theological underpinnings, you might say, for the news. That, it, that God made this world to glorify Him, to de- the heavens to declare His glory. It's subjected to futility, so it doesn't do it like it should. And it has all kinds of problems that are inherent now in creation on account of its curse. Because God subjected it to futility in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Notice the language here is similar to what we have seen already for the relationship that that we might have to sin. In chapter 6, talked about being slaves to sin or being in bondage. But we have been set free by Christ. Now, he says, yet creation itself is so much entwined in this curse that creation longs and hopes to be set free from the bondage that it experiences because of sin. To obtain the freedom that it will receive with the glory of the children of God. So creation reminds us that this world is not all there is. Creation itself points us in a direction ahead one day until the freedom of the glory of the children of God comes to this world. The certainty that we have of that has already taken place. The resurrection of Jesus. He has inaugurated this new life. He has inaugurated this new freedom. He has brought about in the beginning what we will one day fully experience. And so creation now is struggling itself along with us looking for that day. So now there is this corruption and this futility, and then there will be glory. Now there is death and decay. In this already, in this present time, there's death and decay. One day there will be life and resurrection. There will be glory and there will be hope. And in the meantime, we live by faith, right? Isn't that interesting? I mean, this is what, this is why the Christian life is always a life of faith. It's a life of faith that I am trusting the promise of God, the resurrection of Jesus, will one day mean freedom and glory and hope. And here's this other signpost. We know, we know this, that all creation is groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now all creation groans and this is a, this is an important word it shows up twice more in the next three or four verses this groaning this the, the groaning is a lament it is a uh, I, I don't know if you've ever not going to ever known somebody okay some other person who's who's been deeply hurt or who's had surgery or who some it's just an enormous pain and they're just oh they're just groaning yeah, that's the Word. And it's, the, the issue really is not childbirth. If you're like me, you're thinking, well, what's going to be born? That's not the point. The point is not the childbirth. The point is the pain. Literally, you could translate, all creation is groaning together and in pain together until now. That's what the hurricanes and the blizzards and the earthquakes are all about. It's all creation in pain. I mean, I, this whole straining together, looking forward to that. I mean, remind, I don't know if you've seen the Planet Earth videos. I mean, they're just some wonderful videos. And, and all of them, but my favorites, are the ones where the plants grow up and then the sun goes across the sky and it shows the plants in time lapse. They're straining, right, for the sun. And then what's the very next thing show? It shows some animal just gobbling up another animal like, that's awful! Yeah, that's what we're talking about in creation. It's not all like it should be. And all creation groans in pain. And so this, these things that we know and these things that we consider and we look around and we say, this is not how it should be. That helps us. It helps us not hope for material things or not not hope for temporal things, but rather to set our hope on what's not yet. On the glory. On the promise. On the resurrection that God offers us. Purchased for us on the cross. Guaranteed to us by the resurrection of Jesus. And just for what it's worth, that's why... That's why Good Friday and Easter are such a great celebration for the Christian church because those are are our guarantee that something is coming that's better. That's the inauguration of the better day even though we don't experience all of it right now. And so what are you supposed to do about this, right? How is this going to help you tomorrow? Well, I think the first thing that it does, first thing I hope it does for you, is that I hope it helps you understand the news. Well, more specifically, the weather report. I hope it helps you recognize that this world is not all there is, and it gives you your bearings, and it helps you say, my hope is eternal. That's what I hope it does. And then I hope it helps you to place your faith and your hope where it ought to be. 2 Corinthians 4 uses almost the same language, but it gives us a to-do item, you might say. It gives us something to put on our list for tomorrow morning. It says, for we don't lose heart. Right? The, the sufferings of this present time tempt me to lose heart. If so I don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Okay, this is the already not yet. Already not yet, my body's wasting away. Already not yet, my spirit is being renewed because I have this new eternal life inside me. For the light and momentary affliction suffering of this present time, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's almost exactly the same language. You can't compare what is coming with what is now. In fact, if you take the depth of the valley now, it in no way compares to the glory of the height that's yet to come. And then here's a to-do item. For we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. You and I must pin our hopes on what is eternal, on what we cannot see. That's what it means to walk by faith in a world that is broken down and under the curse. Because the things that are seen are transient, they're subject to futility and corruption. They're born one time and die another time. And then they disintegrate. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so I wanted to give you this morning some some bearings to orient you so that when when you experience the full blow of suffering, the unhappy, unwelcome visitor into your life, when you receive that, you won't be disoriented. You won't be knocked off course because you know what I expect in this present time is suffering. But what I know to be coming is glory. And so I'm going to look not at the things around here, not at this suffering, not at this disappointment, not at the pain I have in the relationships in my life, but I'm going to look to what is not seen by faith so that I might stand strong in the midst of this disappointment and suffering and pain. Let's pray. Oh, great God and Father, that is my hope and prayer that You would enable us not to lose heart, not to lose faith, not to be capsized when the winds of suffering blow. But Father, I pray that You would enable us by faith to trust what is coming. So that with creation, we might strain our necks saying, Lord Jesus, won't You come? Won't You set these things in my life, in this world? Won't You set them right? God, we long for the day when justice is served. When peace is throughout the world. When people love one another. When the natural order of things is restored. God, would You do that for us soon? We long for that day. Would you grant us faith to hang on for it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.